Hello, and welcome to The Mastering Show. My name is Ian Shepard. I'm a mastering engineer, and I run the Production Device website, where my goal is to help you get the best results recording, mixing, and mastering your music. And with me, as always, is John Tidy from reaperblog.net. Hey, John, how are you doing? Hey, everyone. I'm doing really well. Excellent. And today we're revisiting a topic we've talked about several times, many times on the show before, but one that is still generating quite a bit of confusion. And we thought it would be great to try and help with that if we can. And that topic is LUFS, L-U-F-S, Loudness Units Full Scale. And we have done dedicated episodes to LUFS before. So if they're completely new to you, you might want to head back and check those out. Uh, The first one was episode 44 loudness units 101 and there are some other episodes that uh maybe we'll mention as we go through for specific topics and everything that we mentioned will be in the show notes as well at the mastering show.com. yeah we'll put a ton of links there to to help you guys out john maybe you can summarize for everybody what a luff is and why we should care a loudness unit is a a way of measuring sound in a way that takes into consideration our frequency curve of our ears where it's supposed to And it's supposed to help with um, comparing two sounds, you know, let's say commercials and the content need to be at a similar loudness level. So we reduce the jumps and dynamics and things like that. It's sort of a newer concept. It's similar to RMS in some ways, and it's a lot different than measuring everything in peaks like we might be used to. But... um, it's great. It's a it's a great way of, of measuring sound in a way that relates to how we hear or attempts to. Yeah, I, th- I think I completely agree with that. I mean, I guess the interesting thing is it's surprisingly difficult to measure loudness in a way that everybody agrees and that kind of matches what they hear. So a lot of people say that LUFS doesn't work. And what's all that about? It, it seems like a pretty good system and the, certainly the best system we have. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's a common objection I hear, and I guess one of the one way to tackle it is that I hear people say, "Well, I've you know balanced ten different songs by measuring the integrated, the overall LUFS value for them, and when I play them back, they all sound different loudnesses." You know, what's that about? What? Why is that the case when it's supposed to measure loudness? And I think the thing that people miss when they say that is that context is really important. You know, if we're mastering, one of the goals is to get the music to the perfect level, the perfect EQ balance, the perfect everything. But level is one of the most fundamental and important things we have to get right. But we do that because we're humans in a way that is musically appropriate. So if it's um, a piece for solo flute with harp accompaniment, (laughs) we're not going to master it to be as loud as something that is, I don't know, somebody playing a trash can drum kit, right? Or, you know, right. a sousaphone or <laughs> whatever it might be. We listen to it and we go, okay, that sounds that way musically. So it should be this loud to feel right emotionally and kind of in terms of the impact and the way that it makes us feel. And I can't imagine that you could make any system of measurement that would be clever enough to figure that out. I mean, maybe there will be an artificial intelligence at some point in the distant future that can make those same kind of decisions and understand the difference between, you know, different types of music and the emotions they're meant to um, convey. But basically, 
in a case like that, I would say the loudness meter is doing its job. It's accurately measuring the sound or as accurately as it can and setting them as close to each other as they can be. But that doesn't mean it's going to be musically appropriate. So I think that's just a confusion that people have about the way that the thing is supposed to work. It's like, if you want things to be equal loudness, you can achieve that by measuring the LUFS value. But sometimes you don't want them to be equal loudness. Does that make sense? That does. And also, um, frequency balance does play into this as well, right? Something that has more bass will read higher on the LUFS meter, but it may not necessarily sound equal to our ears compared to something yeah, else. Yeah, exactly. This was one of the bigger problems with using RMS, or I mean, I prefer to use a, an old style VU meter, you know, a needle meter. Mm. Um, uh, those kind of meters are very sensitive to bass in a way that our ears are not so much. So if you measure some hip hop or some, some something dubby with a, a load of sub bass in it, an RMS or a VU meter is going to push right up to the to the top. Like Zanny by Billie Eilish is an example we've talked about before where it has very high levels of bass, so it reads really high and doesn't necessarily sound ridiculously loud. It sounds pretty loud, but... Um, so that's a weakness or a limitation of an RMS or a VU meter. And an LUFS meter is less susceptible to those problems, but it's still not perfect. Um, another kind of objection that I hear to LUFS is that it wasn't designed for measuring music. And actually, that's true. It was originally the, the big focus was for broadcast in terms of the ads versus the programs. So they were very heavily focused on speech. I don't think that devalues them as a, a measurement method, because the bottom line is they work pretty well, regardless of how they were designed or tested initially. It is true that if you have something that is super bassy and something that has a ton of upper mid-range, again, you can measure them with the LUFS meter and they would appear, according to the meter, to be equal loudness. And that's not quite how we perceive them. But I always say, when I'm kind of talking to people about why I think LUFS is good, is that they will work well if you have a balanced EQ. And in mastering, if you don't have a balanced EQ, then there's something that's not right. I mean, either it's deliberately unbalanced for creative effect, or you haven't got it quite right yet and you need to do more work. And at the point where you do, suddenly the loudness will start to make sense and, and work kind of in terms of the, the impression, the way that we perceive it. In the home studio, where do you think people are going wrong with measuring LUFS? Or, or with the balanced EQ, even. Well, balanced EQ is hard because to have a balanced EQ, you have to have monitoring that's good enough to be hearing that EQ accurately. And you need to have really reliable reference tracks. You know, all the things that we talk about on the show all the time in terms yeah. of being successful in mastering. So that is a challenge. And part of that is the whole issue of bass, right? Because bass is one of the hardest things to get right, especially in a small room especially if it's a square room or rectangular room with even multiple dimensions in the walls, you get more build-up and... And dead spots. Yeah, exactly. More build-up, more dead spots, which makes it harder to to know that you've got a, a consistent, even bass response. So that's the kind of thing you want to work on if you're going to be doing it, you're mastering yourself in a home studio. Beyond that, I would say the main thing people get wrong is to measure the overall LUFS value of a track and expect that they will give you the same result. That sounds like exactly what I just said, but <laughs> the, the main, the other thing, the other factor is that 
not all songs sound the same. So even if they're in the same genre, um, you could have a song that's loud all the way through, in which case the overall loudness value is going to be high. Or you could have a song that has a lot more variety in it. So it has alternating, say, quiet and loud sections. And in that case, the overall average value that you get for the song is going to read lower. If you measure those two and try and make them equal using the LFS value, you're going to end up with the more varied song actually sounding louder in the loud bits and the quiet bits will be too loud because you've lifted the overall value of the song and not taken into account what's happening musically. So my advice is always to match the loudness of the loudest sections or at least pay attention to those. You don't necessarily have to match them exactly but balance the loudest sections against each other and then the rest of the songs in comparison to them. That's a situation where you switch not from integrated but to short term. I always recommend short-term. Um, I find short-term is helpful. I mean, actually, if you only play the loud section, then the integrated value would probably be okay as well, right? Because if yeah. if, if the val- if the short-term loudness doesn't vary much, then the overall value for that little section is going to be similar. Um, but yeah, to kind of avoid confusion, I think it's better to just say, if you just watch the short-term loudness during the loudest moments, that's going to give you a really good benchmark for um, matching the, the different levels. Cool. I feel like I'm I'm kind of like that when I'm working on music and I'm using the LUFS meter for mastering. I'm usually looking at the short term within within the DAW and I'm you know comparing things to other things, but then I'm using an offline tool to get the integrated after I export. And I don't even think I ever change anything, just kind of curiosity kind of a, as a as a way to to verify that I've done everything right, I guess. I use, mm-hmm. uh, uh, what is that? R128X, is that what it's called? Yep. It's, <laughs> <laughs> Hyphen GUI yeah, for and, graphic and, user interface. Yeah, and, and there's there's a, a non-real-time tool in Reaper that I'll use to, to calculate the integrated um, after I export, bring back in and, and check. But it, it's really just, just a verification, like just to make sure that like, nothing's way out of range if everything's within two to i know two to three uh what is it how do i say that well it's two either to three L-U L-U or db db lufs <laughs> no no it's either no, so it's either yeah. either an lu or db but they're exactly yeah. the same so yeah yeah i, I mean I, I guess that's the confusion because you can kind of if they're a db off the lufs reading will be a db off, will be one lu off one number off one unit it gets confusing because they're they're related but they're not it, exactly the same it really does get confusing i think this is a major thing that confuses people and i was trying to think of a good analogy for it it's not perfect but the closest i can get is degrees celsius or centigrade versus mm-hmm. fahrenheit right they're two yeah. different ways of measuring temperature the temperature is what it is, and it feels like what it feels like. But you'll get completely different numbers from them. And you can't even say that it's not even like one degree Fahrenheit equals one degree centigrade. You know, the, the, yeah. the temperature might change by five degrees. I don't know what the conversion is, um, centigrade, and that's some completely different thing in Fahrenheit. But the temperature is the same, right? They're just two different ways of measuring it. And the same thing yeah. applies in terms of DB and LUFS, you get slightly different numbers, but they're measuring the same thing. And the same thing also applies in terms of replay gain, which is what Spotify 
use to decide their playback loudness. Because one of the other benefits of measuring the integrated LUFS, as you say, is gives you an idea what's going to happen on YouTube and Tidal and Amazon Music and some of these other places. You know, all of those platforms are turning down loud music and they're all using minus 14 LUFS right now as their reference level. So if you measure, if your music measures minus 12, then you know it's going to get turned down by a couple of dB. So that's useful information to have. Spotify actually give their guidelines in LUFS, even though they don't use LUFS to set their playback levels. They say we're aiming for minus 14 and they recommend that you aim for minus 14 as well, which I'm not sure is such a good idea. In fact, it's not a good idea. Episode 52, don't aim for targets. There you go. And episode number 67, minus 14 LUFS or not. Again, it's it's useful to know the, the reference level that they are going to end up with, but that's not what you should shoot for. And uh, yeah, you can head back and listen to those episodes if you want yeah. to know more about that topic. The summary is aim for the ideal loudness of the content and let the normalization do its thing. Yes, but measure it afterwards and preview it to make sure that you're happy that when the normalization does its thing, you still like what you did. And then if not, think about whether you might want to try and adjust for that in any way. But the, the problem with Spotify is that they're not using LUFS, they're using replay gain, which is based on RMS, which is another way of measuring loudness, it's like centigrade and Fahrenheit. They're both measuring loudness, but they come up with different numbers and there isn't a direct comparison between the two. And that confuses the heck out of people, understandably. <laughs> um, so uh, the solution in that case is to use the loudness penalty website that we set up with meter plugs, um, which will tell you the numbers and you can compare the two. And if Spotify and YouTube, as a rule of thumb, are giving you a similar value and you're happy with the way things sound when you preview the music that way, it's all good. The thing to watch out for is when Spotify and YouTube are giving you very different results, um, then you might want to listen more carefully and decide whether you want to adjust it. Um, it's a confusing topic, but... Um, and then the other thing I think is LUFS is kind of more like a... You know, when you look at the weather forecast and it says, okay, tomorrow it's going to be 22 degrees, but it's going to feel like it's 16 degrees because it's windy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's... <laughs> It's still not a perfect analogy, but that's the best I can do in terms of LUFS, where it's kind of saying, well, the loudness is this, but it's going to sound like that because of the EQ response and all the rest of it. Um, But it's only ever an approximation. And people are going to disagree. You know, one person is going to go out and kind of really feel the breeze. Another person is going to notice that the sun is out and they'll feel different about the temperature. Temperature hasn't changed. Weather hasn't changed. But how you assess it and how people react to that assessment is going to vary. Maybe it's not such a bad analogy. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. Now, that kind of reminds me of some conversations I've had with people um, doing podcasts and trying to get the right kind of consistent level. Um, and I give them, you know, my recommendations. But I think some of the trial and error comes from getting everything to sound right to them and they export it and they're a bit off on kind of where they wanted to be with the integrated loudness level. And it's something that I don't care about a, a huge amount. We've kind of dialed it in, but we're we're a bit loose with the actual, um, you know, b- between episode to episode. Maybe it's minus 16, maybe it's minus 18, but we don't stress about that personally. Mm-hmm. But other people do want to, you know, get it get everything going at a very specific level. And actually, um, more than podcasts, 
audiobooks is where I've seen people being very meticulous or worried about it a lot. Well, I think some of those platforms have kind of give specifications, don't they? Where they say, yeah, you, know, you should yeah, supply this. Yeah, but it's not this. even an LUFS right. with, with Audible anyways. And, and so because they don't do LUFS, I tell them, I tell those people to ignore that. I feel like it's more unpredictable. You're, you're kind of chasing your tail. That. Yeah, well, an, an RMS in particular has different, there's two different versions of RMS, and one of them will give you an answer that's 3 dBs louder than the other. And if you don't know what the app that you're using, which one it's using, then <laughs> you're doomed. Sure. Let's say you finish editing your show, there's a bit of music and there's mostly dialogue, and it comes out at minus 14, LUFS integrated. If you want that to be minus 16, at what point in the chain would you subtract 2 dB? Great question. Personally, I would subtract it right before the final limiter. If you're happy with everything else that's in the chain. Those are an interesting choice of numbers, right? Because I would say that for me, minus 16 is about as loud as you want to go with dialogue. And, and that's um, why I chose that number. <laughs> right. Because minus you... 16 is not too loud for me, but minus 14 is. And 2 dB doesn't matter a lot of times, if we're talking about minus 28 and minus 30, who cares? But when, when it's minus 14 and minus 16, it makes a huge difference. Well, it makes a huge difference in the processing that you need to get there, right? Yeah. Um, and I think that, you know, yeah, I remember us having this conversation way back in the day about the podcast. Um, and I think you were asking me what number we should shoot for. And I probably said, oh, minus 16, minus 14, something like that. Yeah, um, and 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 using a, a VU meter set at minus ten is what we use for music. Yeah, well, I mean, there's a, this is a slight tangent from your. We should come back to your question there. Yeah, a slight tangent is that one of the ways that LUFS is not great is in terms of music and speech. Um, if you set equal integrated loudness for a piece of speech and a piece of music, the music is going to sound mm, three, maybe four dBs too quiet. Um, if you measure what comes and, and the voice is probably going to be distorted, could well be. Yeah, I would say if, you, if assuming there's no compression happening in there or anything like that. So, oh yeah, absolutely. And well, and even if you're using processing in a dynamics chain, it could sound overprocessed in a way that. I mean, it's interesting because we all listen to commercial radio all the time, and that stuff is super processed. Um, yeah. But you will still hear, um, maybe not on the real kind of. The, the stations that are playing the most popular current stuff. It's like Radio 1 here in the UK is pretty much full tilt the whole time. Most of the other stations, you're going to hear that maybe three, maybe four dB difference between the music and the speech, and that feels very natural. Um, but yeah, if you try and push the speech up to, to match the music, it's going to be very heavily processed in order to get that. Some people like that, but I find... I think particularly for things like podcasts, since that's where your original question was, yeah, it's a different thing if you're listening to kind of short bursts of speech interspersed with music than if you're listening to speech for a long time. And I think we as people are very, very accustomed to listening to natural speech. It's like whether we realize it or not, we're very finely tuned to what sounds right yep. in terms of recorded audio. And yeah, I think it's a mistake to, to it, it's not really necessary you know, providing it's, it's, you need the levels to be consistent. You don't want somebody dropping down like this and then suddenly talking really loudly because that's just annoying. Um, but if you've got consistency in the levels, having it super loud doesn't really give you any benefit and actually can make it harder to listen to. 
Yeah. And, and actually, I'm, I'm wondering what situation is someone going to be listening to the radio in earbuds? Not, I, I think a lot of people aren't anymore. You're usually listening to it in the car, on the highway, when you're stuck in traffic, and or it's just on in your office and you have no <laughs> control over it. Uh, right? Because even like in stores, it's all the satellite crap, <laughs> you know, playlists and, and no dialogue at all. Mm-hmm. Um, where have I heard the radio? Like, I can't does think of where I listen the to the radio anymore. <laughs> yeah, it's like why does it, why does it need to be so compressed? I think it's just for when you're in the car. Well, it's in the car, but it's also uh, they do it for a technical reason, which is just um, in terms of areas where there's poor coverage. So if you have a sure. weak signal strength, if the overall level is loud, you know they just don't want it in terms of FM process FM radio. They don't want it to dissolve into static. Um, but I mean, most radio these days is relayed digitally anyway, so even that's not necessarily i was gonna say has it has the amount of processing on the voice or or on the music actually reduced over time as technology has improved i don't i don't feel like it has i no i don't think it has um well i mean it depends what radio station you listen to i mean this is the other thing there there are broadcast processors specifically designed to get the level of fm signals up there um for the reasons we've talked about but they also allow you to dial in uh, what they call a signature sound for a different station. Yeah. And certain stations will choose a particular processing uh, preset, basically, on these um, these boxes to get the sound of the station. Or they might kind of change it over the years. I feel like it's almost more of a habit at this point um, yeah. than it is a kind of a technical or even an artistic requirement i guess you know that's a matter of taste you could argue around that anyway going back to your question about if you're mastering a podcast and you measure discover that you're actually at minus 14 i mean part of me says if you're happy with it sounds don't worry about it i feel like minus 14 is a little is just on the edge of being too much for a voice to listen to for a half hour or an hour i actually think minus 14 um if, I mean, if it never too, drops too, below minus 14. Yeah, I, th- I think minus 14 is, is a shade too high. I think minus 16 yeah. is on the edge for me. Um, yeah. I'd be much more comfortable. And it sounds, it's funny, at some point I'm going to do a podcast or a video or maybe a blog post um, just, you know, for a few dB more. Because often when we're talking about music, you know, we're kind of saying, like, if you follow the recommendation of all oh, the loudest sections at minus 10 LUFS, which is kind of, I think, a good ballpark to aim for, um, the overall values are going to be between minus 14 and minus 10, something like that, maybe minus 16 and minus 10. The loudest stuff that's out there is up at minus four, which is way louder. But there's a load of stuff that's kind of minus seven, minus eight. And I still feel as an overall loudness value, that's too much. But it's only three dBs different from what I'm talking about and i think it's this comes back to this idea i've had um for a while that i've talked i think i've talked about before called the loudness cliff where i feel like you know if 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 when you're trying to get your music louder it's like pushing a boulder uphill (laughs) um and you want to get your boulder to the top of the mountain to be as loud as everybody else's um and you push it up and up and up and it's really hard at some point you get towards the top and it starts to level out and the effort that you're putting in is achieving less 
And then, if you're not careful, you push it over the edge and it falls down the other side and smashes at the bottom of the ravine. Um, and I think the same thing is true of audio. You can push it up and up and up and you'll be fine. And then you start to get the law of diminishing returns where you're it's not really improving it in any way or achieving very much. You're just kind of pushing it up there. And if you push it too far, it's suddenly all kinds of things start going wrong. Um, so I do think like that last two to three dBs makes a huge difference. And you're right. If you're down at minus 23 or minus 24, a difference of a dB is still going to make a big difference to the way people perceive it, but it's not going to make a big difference to the quality. Um, but the difference between something that's overall in terms of speech at minus 16 and minus 12 is going to make a huge difference, even if it's not in the quality in terms of the the way that it feels, the way that it's perceived, um, and the way it makes you feel after you've listened to it for a load of time. And I think one of the things that I'm proud of is we get quite a bit of really positive feedback about the way that this show sounds. Yeah. And and I treat my my YouTube videos with similar uh, you know steps to achieve this similar sound. I mean, it is the same microphone, but like I don't you know make my YouTube videos drastically louder than this one on purpose or anything like that. So, um, and and that reminds me, we should shout out your series on Sound on Sound YouTube channel. <laughs> <laughs> and I was I just pulled up the stats for nerds on it. And I was wondering if if they had done any post processing or anything like that. Did you? But just this is the the YouTube geek in me. Did did you just hand off the video files, or did you do all the editing as well? Well, it's interesting because I I handed off the audio, so the audio is exactly what I supplied them. Okay, um, which actually doesn't have any compression or limiting on the on the speech. Um, just for people who are also YouTube audio nerds, um, I did level it out by hand. So when I was editing, if there was a section where I felt that like the energy dropped, I would try and even it out. So I think it's reasonably consistent. Mm-hmm. I did a little bit of denoising um, and, you know, kind of cleaning up of clicks and thumps and all that kind of stuff. But no, basically the audio is just what it is. And it's interesting you mention it, actually, because I was thinking of mentioning it as an example, because after I sent it off, I kind of thought, is the overall loudness of that right? <laughs> I just did what I normally do. And it when it goes somewhere like sound on sound, where you know it's going to hit a new audience and um, a pretty big audience, suddenly your attention to detail on all of these things gets even higher. It's like, there's what I do for my own YouTube channel. And then there's like, well, it's sound on sound. Um, so uh, yeah, I did some measuring and I did some, I did some testing. And the overall level of those videos, I think is about minus 16 on the whole. I mean, again, like this show, I haven't agonized about it but it's kind of minus 18, minus 16. Um, the musical examples in it are not that kind of, not super loud and they're not super frequent. So it's basically dialogue. What I would say is that they, they did a ton of post-processing on the video because <laughs> embarrassingly enough, my audio was okay, but they came back with all kinds of comments about the video, but that's a different topic. So I, I'm seeing minus 6 dB as at the content loudness. Okay, so that's quite quiet. That's minus 20 overall. Yeah, because so, that means it's six dBs below their um, target, and the target is minus fourteen. So that's uh, that's an integrated loudness of of minus twenty LeFS. But interestingly, when I listen to the, I mean, like I listen, I check those videos um, on my mastering rig at the same level that I master everything, and at the same listen level that I listen to YouTube on, and it sounds fine to me, works yeah, perfectly well. So. That's and what? So let me think about that. Uh, so that would mean that if, if it's mainly speech and it's at minus 20, and we would expect music to be 4 dBs louder than that, 
That would put the music at minus 16. Most of the music on YouTube is normalised at minus 14. That's within a couple of dBs, you know, that's, that's about right. Yeah, yeah, I I never really notice or check the the volume level, um, you know, in the stats for nerds, unless it's way too loud or way too quiet. So um, the Bon Appetit channel, a lot of their older videos, they'll say like minus 24 for content loudness. Right. Um, wow. It, minus 12 isn't too uncommon, but I think like minus six to minus three is kind of like the sweet spot where YouTube is not turning it down, but it was uploaded just a couple dB below their, their target level. And then I see other channels, let's say Peter McKinnon, his stuff will say plus three or right at zero. And like, why? Why are you doing that? <laughs> <laughs> because the first thing I do is turn it down all the way almost. Uh, he never turns down his music examples. I could go on and on. Um, his B-roll sequences, he uses mastered music at zero and it's just way too aggressive. Two drastically different example uh, genres of YouTube videos, um, but it, kind of at, at both extremes of, of where it, it could be. They could have been processed the same way and, and been more comfortable to listen to or watch. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's another example of needing to be in the sweet spot, right? Because you've got the two extremes there where something was mastered way louder than it really needed to be and has been turned down. Yeah. Um, which from but my it still perspective- sounds too loud. Yeah, right. So that's a missed opportunity. Normalized it. It is still too loud, too Im imbalanced with the music. If let's say his dialogue stayed the same level, if he just turned down the music by three to six dB for the B-roll sections or you know intro music or whatever, that would have been more balanced. It it sounds both out of balance and too loud to me. Right. But the Bon Appetit channel, I don't know if they're they're going for like TV or film levels? Well, even TV should only be like 10 dBs down on on the YouTube's reference yeah. level, right? So, so yeah. that, those are way too quiet. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that's the other extreme, which is if the stuff is way too quiet, because YouTube doesn't turn that stuff up, you know, you have the opposite yeah. problem, which is that because I mean, even if, I mean, okay, you might say it's not the end of the world. If it's a half-hour show and you have to turn the level up, well, that's not the end of the world, except that if YouTube then auto-plays something immediately afterwards, it's like, whoa, what the yeah. hell is that? Yeah, or the ads. Right, Because exactly. the ads right. are normalized to YouTube standard, as it was, I'm assuming they are. Whenever I've tested them, I've seen that they're normalized, yeah. But if the content loudness is way too low, then yeah, it, it, it may be turned down to minus 13. But if the content is, is all the way down to minus 24 then it's, it, it's a big difference still. And I think that's another big reason that people say LUFS don't work. I think they're kind of using LUFS meaning normalization. Um, sure. And I guess they're right in a sense, you know, if the goal is to get consistent listening level throughout, um, the fact that YouTube doesn't turn up that really quiet stuff means that it's not quite working, but that's not a fault of the the loudness unit, the measurement system. That's just to do with the implementation and the users not doing what YouTube would intend or expect. Um, so, you know, you could argue about whether actually YouTube should turn the quiet stuff up or not. And there's, you know, there's kind of issues with that in terms of music where you end up with, well, if it goes up a certain distance, you know, then what happens? Does it clip? Does it get limited or whatever? But, uh, 
yeah, it's again, it's not um, a fundamental problem with the the measurement system. Um, it's just the way that it works, and the fact that, as I've said before, we're in this developing situation where all of this stuff, you know, the last few years people are talking about it all the time. Prior to that, not so much, and that's because we're right at this transition point where all of this stuff is coming in and it's gradually improving, and hopefully one day it's going to get to a point where we don't have to think about it anymore and it just works and, you know, does the artistically correct thing and the technically correct thing as well. Um, but we're not there yet, unfortunately. The one other thing that I wanted to mention that I hear people say a lot about uh, LUFS is just kind of following on from all these other topics, you know, it doesn't work, it's not appropriate for music, um, you know, I, I don't get the results that I expect, all that kind of stuff, is just for people to say, well, maybe it works, maybe it doesn't, but I still prefer RMS um, as a measurement method. And actually my reply to that is, well, fine, you know, um, and, and with all of this stuff, it's like, don't feel you have to use if you've got used to judging loudness using a peak meter, if you are knowledgeable enough about the content that you're recording, that can work. Um, the BBC for years, maybe still, used a system called PPM, which is yet another metering system, which is kind of like a really slowly reacting peak meter. It's another needle-based uh, system. I find it completely confusing. I have no idea what it's telling me. But there are BBC engineers who will look at one of those things, listen to the audio and end up with the the music within half a dB of where I would expect it to be. Um, a ton of mastering engineers, because, you know, LUFS has only been around for five, I don't know how many years it's been around now. It's fairly recent. RMS yeah. has been around since forever. So there's a ton of people who have the, the Dura RMS meter, that kind of iconic um, coloured LED display. And there are engineers who are completely tuned into that and just they look at that, they hear what they're listening to and they know exactly what they should do with music. There's, there's engineers who don't use meters at all, um, although even the ones who say they don't, I think actually most of them do. <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah. so, you know, and I prefer to use the old needle VU. And one of the reasons I like it is because it's so sensitive in the middle of the range. So it makes it easy to see if you've gone too far or if you're not loud enough. Um, but it's very sensitive to bass. So people say to me, well, imagine if you had a, a VU meter that could be calibrated to use loudness units instead of VU. And actually, the one that I use, the Klanghelm VUMT uh, Vumped, enables you to do that. But I choose not to because I've been mastering with an actual analog VU meter for 25 years plus. It's kind of my eye-ear-brain system, if that's a mm -hmm. thing. Um, is so kind of accustomed to that that it enables me to get the results I want quickly and easily. And if, so if that's how you feel about RMS, by all means, you know, use RMS. Any kind of metering system, as we've talked about, is going to have limitations, is going to take some learning, requires understanding so that you can connect what you see with what you hear. Because, you know, it's always about what you hear. The meters are useful, but it is just feedback and guidance and kind of sanity checking at the end of the day if it works go for it and you know don't get upset about the fact that people are now using lufs because if that works for them then great yeah <laughs> that's it basically <laughs> if it works use it if it doesn't work use something else i mean i in a way i agree with that but in a way i don't because a lot of people are just stubborn and they refuse to learn new tools and techniques and 
there's this thing with studios, especially professional by the hour studios, where it's like, this is the way we've always done it. And this is the way we do it. And I think you can get left behind. I think you can miss out on better results uh, by, by keeping up with technology. Yep, actually, that's a fair point. And, and I guess maybe, okay, so I can now step back slightly on what I just said <laughs> and recommend to anybody listening to this. If you, if, I mean, if you have a method of assessing loudness that you're using already and it's working for you and you're happy with it, great. But if not, or if you feel, you know, that the method you've been using maybe kind of sometimes works and sometimes doesn't, I would encourage you to try LEOFS because even though it wasn't designed for use on music um, and even though you need to know that if you're balancing music and speech, the music needs to be two, three, four dBs louder. And, you know, all of these kind of quirks and issues that we've been talking about, it's still pretty damn good. It's really effective. I mean, if I balance by ear two different versions of the same song, for example, with different EQ levels, and then I measure them using LUFS, they're going to come out, the readings are going to be like within half a dB of each other. Or if I just match something blind and take a listen, if it's similar musical material that, you know, aesthetically should be at similar loudness, most of the time I'm pretty happy with the result. You know, I might want to tweak it slightly, um, and that's the whole creative thing versus technical. It's pretty amazing that LUFS works as well as it does, it could, because it's more sophisticated than RMS, but it's not that much more sophisticated. It's actually based on RMS. You know, all those people are kind of going, oh, RMS is so much better. It's basically the same thing, but with an EQ weighting um, and a different measurement window. I do think LUFS is really useful, especially if you're you know new to all of this and getting started and trying to get your head around it. And it's also invaluable in terms of understanding what's happening online, because Spotify will move to LUFS at some point. And when they do, all of the major streaming platforms are going to be using the same measurement system. And that's just going to make our lives so much more, so much easier in terms of understanding what's going to happen. You know, you're just going to be able to measure it and go, okay, so they're going to do this. So I'll do that and listen to it. And if I'm happy, I'm happy. And if I'm not happy, well, I can adjust and measure it again and, and, and tweak. And, you know, that that's going to get rid of a ton of the, the big objections that people have to all of this, you know, the, as things start to standardize across all the different platforms, um, it is going to improve. And I think starting to understand that stuff, as you say, you know, getting up to speed with, the latest technology now is better than playing catch up in future um, and is going to have positive results. Right on. <laughs> I like that ending much better. I do. Well, and, and I like your rejoinder. Uh, it, was, uh, it was a good point. Well made. So I uh, hope if you had any confusions about LUFS or loudness metering in general, that was helpful in some way. If not, please let us know. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell your friends, share it on social media, uh, help get the word out so that more people hopefully can find the show. Thank you, John, for helping me figure my way around the tangled mess that is LUFS. Yep, my pleasure. Thanks to Kaylee Law for letting us use his music. And thanks for listening. <laughs>